Hey guys, before we get into this week's episode, just want to give you a note. The audio is all kinds of messed up. It's super low for the most part, and we apologize. There were a little bit of uh, gremlin troubles. Do we own gremlins? Let's say we own gremlins. Do we own gremlins? I don't know. But even if we don't, uh, we had some troubles with our microphones and recorder this week, and it recorded super duper low. I apologize. Uh, We're going to get it all fixed up for you next week. But it's a really good episode, so I hope you listen. And if you don't, I don't blame you. All right, on to the show. President and Executive Editor Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Marvel's Agent M, joined by... Editorial Director of Marvel Digital Media, Ben Morse, and we also have with us... Josh Weiss, heavy breather. Yeah, that yeah. should be on your business card, we which you're never going to get from us. We have gotten numerous complaints about Josh's heavy breathing, yep. so we have moved him back further from his microphone in the hopes that we can rectify the problem. Yes. How do you feel about that, Josh? I bet no one could hear that. That's because, some... Yeah comedy that's some comedy right there Com- comedic gold from the start here on this week in marvel dropping it like it's hot yeah um and speaking of comedy i saw central intelligence it was a delight oh yeah yeah the rock amazing i think rock needs to be able to be weird more often like just be goofy and funny yeah and no he's he's kind of weird in the yeah. movie which is great mm. it works out i want him i wish he was doing something for us i wish he was doing something for us too i think i'm probably going to see that this weekend yeah. i saw now you can see me too. This past weekend, mm-hmm. an entertaining film. Yeah, yeah. I was, like, were, were there any Marvel luminaries in um, that? Um, let's think about this. Was Daniel Radcliffe? That was Harry Potter. Was that us? Did we do Harry Potter? Did we do Harry Potter? Hello, Harry. No, but Mark Ruffalo's in it, and he's oh, the Hulk. Yeah. So, so that that, that counts. I thought so. Yeah. He did. He, so. he did good. He hulked out a few times. Terrific. Which was weird. Great. Didn't really fit the rest of the movie, but you know what? Whatever works. You go with what brings you to the dance. Yeah. Exactly. Dance with what brung you. I saw Finding Dory. If you're wondering. Oh, no, nice. no, no one was wondering about that. Yeah. How was it? Did you cry? I did actually. Did you Did you go yourself, or did you have your parents take you? I went with my mom. Oh, there nice. it is. We went on a date. Wow. Yeah. Did Gosh, uh, I mean you you you've countered you've successfully countered anything we can throw at you yeah by just being totally own up nervous. to it it's great it's, <laughs> you it's are, fantastic you are the winner yeah do they at any point find the fish and then cook the fish that seems like that would be a nice the, twist. the outcome of that movie have you seen the trailer for that uh, upcoming food movie sausage party. sausage party I is so that the like the one with Seth Rogen. Yes, the where the animation looks yeah. garbage in the beginning of the trailer, and yeah, you're like, what you're is like, going you're on? Like, what a sappy kids movie! Like, yeah. what is this about? And then they all like freak out. So I went when I was in LA last week. I had some free time, and you were in LA last week, by the way. Right, Just dropping it there. Yeah, we'll get to that. No big. And so I sat and went to the movies by myself, and I saw Popstar. Oh, it's one going to the movies by yourself is the, the best. best. 
two, I almost had the full theater to myself. Oh. A bunch of jerks had to show up, so there were five other people there. I saw Popstar a few weeks ago. So good. It's very good. I, it's quite l- funny. I loved it. But I watched – that trailer came on. Yeah, it came on for me And too. if you're a Simpsons fan, which I know Blake Garris is not a Simpsons fan. Yeah, so don't listen to this part, Blake. Yeah. If you're a Simpsons fan – We know you fan, listen to everything. Uh, there's – when uh, Sideshow Bob gets out of prison, he, like, goes to the movies and he's there – by himself and he's just laughing so i was laughing really obnoxiously loud like nice. slapping my leg through side the trailer sideshow ryan yeah sideshow yeah sideshow ryan works and uh i was having a grand old time that trailer looks terrific it really cracked me up because we were not like i was there with my wife we didn't know what to expect we're like this is an odd movie it doesn't really seem like it's going anywhere oh man yeah oh yeah that takes a turn it, it just went that way, yeah. and I was very excited. Was that laughing in the theater. That's I think that's a reference to Pig Theater. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. Yes, but I'm more interested. Yeah, in more people care about the, the Simpsons, Simpsons on this podcast. Yes. For Th- sure. That whole ep- that whole episode is Pig Theater. Yeah, basically. So, um, what else? Uh, so I was in LA for you E3, were. the Electronics Entertainment Expo. That's why it's called E3. Yeah. Go fig. Who knew? Uh, and so and I played some Madden on my Xbox One. So it's so like could, the same thing. Yeah, to ha- kind of share the experience right. a little bit. Uh, and we announced Spider-Man for PlayStation 4. <sighs> Huge announcement. Yep, big Talked deal. Talked about it a little on the podcast last week, but said we would have more details when you returned, which you have. Yeah, so um, super exciting. Um, as you guys, I'm sure, have already heard by now, we had the Tuesday episode of the podcast. Really goes in depth on uh, on the as much as we can talk about for the game with yeah. creative director Brian Intahar from Insomniac Games as well as uh, Bill Roseman and Mike Jones from Marvel Games. You know, it's open world. It's big AAA. It's Sony PlayStation 4 exclusive. It's uh, going to have its own story, its own world, its own, like, whole bunch of cool stuff, and it's going to be really, really cool, big, and exciting. Now, for the video game layman out there, what does triple A mean? Because I've heard it tossed around so much since the okay. game was uh, announced, and I feel like that's something we can help people out with. Not everyone knows what that means. Yeah, so triple A commonly refers to big budget, high profile, really top tier um, video games. Think mm-hmm. of them as sort of the blockbusters mm. of the video game world, but. You know, Blockbuster almost has a, a negative connotation in some right. ways. Like the video chain. No. Uh, what a difference, you know. <laughs> uh, Blockbuster sometimes means, oh, it's it's sort of like. A little calorie light. Yeah. A little uh, not, not as intense. Right. But if you look, you know, AAA games, you can think of Fallout 4 or the, the Call of Duty games. Um, gosh, just, you know, any of like those big releases that come out that have been in development for a long time that have, you know, you, they're like cultural phenomena. Mm. Uh, the Halo games, mm-hmm. the, you know, whatever whatever cup of tea you're thinking of, it's AAA really means a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of care, a lot of dedication, and a lot of really skilled people are working on that title. So that's the way uh, we're looking at Spider-Man for nice. PlayStation 4. Very exciting. And uh, while you were gone... We did the podcast by ourselves. Yep. No one noticed. No, everyone noticed. Did they? Well, no, I would assume so. <laughs> it's it's just me talking the whole time. How could <laughs> they Josh not breathing, notice right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Josh breathing. Just so much breathing. Breathing to break up the talking, <laughs> yeah. which was perfect. Yeah. It was a nice back and forth. 
Anyways, here on This Week in Marvel, we, of course, cover everything Marvel from comics to we have a This Week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club this week. It was yeah. a very interesting one. I think we had some fun with it. Did we get our selection we from... We sure don't. We don't have our selection no, yet. so okay. they're going to have to uh, they'll get it to me, and when I post this, I'll post uh, what the next selection is. But those there. boys out west are, you know, they're doing them. Yep. They are doing them. Um, but let's get started. Let's talk about some of the many, 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 many comics that came out this week, beginning with Captain America, Sam Wilson, number 10. This is basically the memorial issue for James Rhodes, War Machine, who, if you don't know by now, spoiler, perished in the course of Civil War II. It's got a little bit of a uh, surrounding story, first of all, by Nick Spencer and Angel Mzueta, uh, colors by Chris Peter. The wraparound is just kind of the general what's going on in the Marvel Universe politically. These new uh, security enforcers called Americops have been introduced. Uh, they are the similar design to the Americop character who existed for, I think, like two issues of Captain America in the <laughs> 90s, which is awesome. Nick Spencer drawing from there. If you have an Americop tattoo, mm -hmm. please email a picture oh, yeah. to us at podcast at marvel.com yeah, any sort of americop memorabilia like if you've if you've made yourself like a uh, a shawl if you've cosplayed as americop at some point in the past we'll take pictures yeah, yeah. but americop it's what's happening now uh, but the main thrust of the issue is sam wilson meeting with a group of other heroes and this thing it establishes something i kind of dig which it's sam wilson misty knight black panther luke cage storm Brother Voodoo, Nick Fury, and Spectrum getting together. And while it's never outright said, it says that these are a group of black heroes that get together and try to provide positive role models for... Is someone trying to get in the room? I don't know, but well, screw them. We'll, we'll find out in a sec. Unless it's Judy trying to sure. bring sure. a guest in. Yeah, trying to, uh, trying to provide positive role models for people out there. So for them, losing Jim Rhodes is a big deal. And they need to meet about it. They need to talk about it. Some really like powerful dialogue. And then Sam gets elected to give the speech. This is what I like. I like this as a continuity thing because Sam was the one who, when Captain America died, gave this great speech. So of course, even though Sam wasn't that close with Jim Rhodes, they're like, "You're the guy who gives the eulogies. You gave a great one for Captain America." And he even says he's like, "Yeah, Captain America was like my best friend. <laughs> like that made sense. This doesn't make sense." But Misty Knight says screw it this is an important thing you need to do it's not about how well you knew jim rhodes it's about the fact that people look up to you as captain america people looked up to him as basically the black iron man and you need to say something and he does do a speech and it's really good i love misty and sam flirting so fun it's just so great and then after that after the great speech that sam gives we uh we get back to the americop stuff but i just i love what nick spencer's oh, doing yeah. with sam wilson I think he's become such an important character. I think his run as Captain America is already just so influential, and um, I love this. Just an issue where it got, it was it wasn't about fighting anybody. It was basically just about you know mourning the loss of a friend, but also kind of saying like this is why Sam's important. This is why Rhodey was important, etc. It was a great issue. Hell yeah! Uh, all right, on to Carnage number nine, written by. Nope. Nine. Jerry Conway, art by Mike Perkins, colors by Andy Troy, and this is so damn good. Mm -hmm. We love this book. We gush about it every week or every month whenever it comes out, and this is no uh, – there's 
nothing different about this in, in terms of us loving it because man it is creepy I, I i went through this issue really fast because i was like like creeped out and nervous and freaked out and excited mm-hmm. and i wanted to get further and further into the story and carnage is just the best lead character for this because he's that you know he's the villain and we've got these this other crew of characters who are trying to capture him and you know one of them being eddie brock and you've got John Jameson. John Jameson yeah. and, and all this stuff. But they all pale in comparison to Cletus Cassidy. Mm-hmm. He's always a step ahead. He's always more willing to be twisted and do things that they're not quite ready to do in order to get what he wants. And what he wants is to unlock ultimate power, essentially. Yep. And uh, it's just fantastic. Shout out to Mike Del Mundo. Um, just the amazing oh, cover. Oh, that cover. It's it it's really bonkers. jumps out. It's basically Carnage's tidal wave. Yeah, which is tidal wave Carnage. Yeah, as we call him, my friend, <laughs> your good close personal friend, tidal wave Carnage. Yep, that just sounds like an old timey boxer. <laughs> you know, yeah. sounds like, it's like oh yeah, Battle coming to the ring right now is tidal wave Carnage. Taking on battling Jack Murdoch. <laughs> yeah, fighting out of Coney Island. This is gold. People are so you know people are lucky to have us <laughs> on the air. I'm just gonna say that to all you guys right now. You you are very fortunate. We didn't have this as kids. We didn't. We didn't. No. We had to call the Marvel Hotline. We had get, Fan um, Magazine. We had Fan Magazine. Hero Magazine. Yeah. Remember them? Yeah, sure do. Yeah. I remember when I was at Wizard and my my boss told me that he buried them. Buried them. Yeah. Yeah. They did. It's true. They just destroyed the crap it's out true. of them. <laughs> Civil War, Choosing Sides, number one. Three short stories. First, we have Nick Fury in post-prologue, part one, written and drawn by Declan Shalvey. Of course, colors by Jordi Belair. It follows Nick Fury, gets ambushed by people who we think are S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. There's an amount of mystery to this story that these guys say they're representing S.H.I.E.L.D. They're trying to advance S.H.I.E.L.D., but to do that, they need to kill Nick Fury. It's kind of a cool Jason Bourne-esque spy adventure. Uh, the kind we want to see, and it's going to be continued in every issue of Choosing Sides. Night Thrasher is back and better than ever, maybe. Um, <laughs> it is story written by Brandon Easton, beautiful art by Paul Davidson, colors by Andrew Crossley. Night Thrasher, who was brought back in the pages of Contest of Champions, dives into the big battle at the center of Civil War II, uses his skateboard in super inventive ways. Uh, don't call it just a skateboard. But don't okay. call it a skateboard. He does not call it that. He's back in his uh, his awesome original costume. You know, as a new Warriors guy, I dug this. It was fun. It was fun seeing Thrash back in the thick of it, telling Iron Man what's what. Yeah. Uh, telling, uh, getting compliments from Captain Marvel. At no point mentioning the fact that he's back from the dead. Sure. Or you know, broaching the issue or yeah. that he did everything in the main Civil War. Um, you know, what, what's the point? Uh, if you like skateboards and extreme things, oh, yeah. tune into Thwip, <laughs> the big Marvel show this week uh, that just would have released on uh, this Wednesday, this past Wednesday, because you get to watch me on a skateboard. I'm 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 going to be tuning in for that. I love that we have a media empire now that we yeah. can just you know throw to everything. Finally, last but certainly not least, uh, there's a nice little damage control story by Chad Bowers and Chris Sims, the guys who write X Men '92. So as expected, it's very funny. Um, art by Leonardo Romero, colors by Miroslav Merva. Uh, it's about cleaning up the mess after the fight in Civil War II, what goes wrong, how it, it's very damage controlly. That's the best way to put it. There's a character that sort of joins the, the team yeah. in that story. Is that an established character? Yes. Oh, 
so is great. an established character. That's why I don't want to get too into it. Yeah, because yeah. I think it's a fun reveal for those of you who knew, know who it is. Yeah, I I loved the that bit and that the, the second half of that story really I, mm-hmm. it killed it. It was, it was awesome. Great. I gave this one to you as a gift. So up next <laughs> is Deadpool v Gambit. Uh, the V is for verses. It says it right on the cover. It does. Uh, number one, written by um, Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, art by Danilo Beirut, colors by Chris Peter. So this comic let's pissed just, me let's off. Just, let's just so say much. for a sec before we get into what pissed you off. Ben Acker and Ben Blacker are real people. Like that's not just funny names. Yeah. They exist and they work together. They somehow found each other and became a writing duo. Well, yeah. Let's just celebrate that for a second. Yeah. And now let's talk about how much this this book pissed you off. Well, also, uh, one didn't piss me off was the great cover. Oh, by, yes. Um, Amazing cover by Kevin Wada. Kevin Wada. Thank you. And then for some reason, in the credits, uh, the credit is given as cartographic consultation to John Hodgman. Really? You know Hodgman, yeah, the of comedian? Yeah, of course. What? The PC guy? Yes. That, I like that your <laughs> reference point for a very talented comedian is the those PC those guy. Apple PC commercials or from commercials. <laughs> or good commercials. Advertising works on the young minds of America. Yep. Um, anyway, I don't know why that is. We should ask uh, Jordan and Heather about that. Yeah, but for sure. this issue pissed me off because I loved it so ah, much. Ah, there it is. I I love when people make you love Gambit. It it's so infuriating. So the the <laughs> the the framing sequence is Deadpool and Gambit in line for coffee, and they realize that each of them is there, and then they sort of have a standoff, uh, talking about the last time they saw each other, which then kicks us off into a Spider-Man and Daredevil story, sort of. Yeah, yeah. but it's Spider-Man and Daredevil, and it's full of things that I love. Like, you've got the uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art in yeah. here. Um, dirty Dancing. Yeah, you've got Dirty Dancing. You've got uh, Hamilton. You've got yeah, art. Yeah, a lot of Hamilton you've got stuff. The, dudes, the Hamilton stuff in this. I was, like, rolling up my copy and slapping my leg with it. I have a big, your I'm leg a big a lot. La- leg, big slapper. leg slapper. Yeah. Uh, but really, really good. Just making fun of the hipsters. Uh, there's, yeah, just all kinds of wacky antics throughout New York City, which made me very happy. Hipsters like Harry Go. Yeah, just like Harry Go. Mm-hmm. Uh, violence, crazy stuff, really great fight between Gambit and uh, Deadpool, uh, Spider-Man, and Daredevil being they are pretty the terrific. They, they are, are in the book, they're and they the are book. great. They're terrific. Uh, weird dragon characters. Uh, it's just, it's really, 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 really funny. Well, and it was annoying that I enjoyed a I, Gambit well, book that like so much. I feel like, in addition to that, it doesn't have Gambit doing any of the things that piss you off. Well, that uh, that's part he's of it. He's not doing any of like. His, he's not like, come on at me, I'm going to you know yeah. get in your bed when you're his, asleep. His, ah. langu- his language is appropriate. Yeah. He's not hitting on like women terribly. He's he, just kind of there goofing around with Deadpool. Yes, he maybe is. That's the best use for Gambit. Right, like make him not a total scumbag, yeah. and maybe I'll like him. Who knew? Take note. Yeah. Take but, note. Uh, folks. Acker and Blacker. Acker and Blacker figured it out. Killed it. Again, real people. Beirut. Yeah. Uh, going over to the Last Days of Magic, part four, the penultimate chapter of Last Days of Magic, taking place in Doctor Strange, number nine. 
written by Jason Aaron, pencils by Chris Pachalo, inks by Mark Irwin, John Livesay, Victor Olazaba, Al Vey, Tim Townsend, and Jamie Mendoza. It takes a village to ink Doctor Strange. Uh, here at the beginning, we've got um, Zelma Stanton and Wong gathering a group of people in the Himalayas. Wong has a secret plan um, that it's kind of cool. This revelation of what Wong's doing that he's done it before adds another dimension to Doctor Strange, which is what this book's been all about. You know, we already got the creature in the basement who plays a big role in this issue and ends up fighting the Empirical, um, which is a nasty little fight that Chris Pachalo draws the heck out of. But we've also now got this element of another way that Doctor Strange uses his powers. Doctor Strange, meanwhile, is with all the magic users uh, getting the last little bits of magic that they've been trying to extract from different places. You know, there's a little bit here, a little... He had to. He actually has to crush a skull here, and use the dust. I'm not saying whose skull it is. Yeah, that part was. Crushes a skull into dust just to get a little kick of magic. He still little seems kick, Josh. Still kick. seems way overmatched. I don't know how he's going to beat the empirical. I don't know how he is going to fend off the creature he had in his basement. Um, he's got a bow and arrow and an axe. That's what Doctor Strange's amount is. Jason Aaron is really adding a lot of depth, a lot of flavor to Doctor Strange. This is the perfect book for Chris Pachalo to be drawing. Uh, just his creepy demons and awesome magic heroes, and the whole thing just looks so dark and gothy. It's it's brilliant. It is brilliant. Uh, all right, on to Drax number eight, written by CM Punk and Cullen Bunn, uh, art by Scott Hepburn, Marcus Toe, Scott Hanna, and, Ton- and Antonio Fabella. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love this book. It's ridiculous. There's this, I mean, the cast is packed. You've got Drax, Pip the Troll, you've got Cammy, you've got Torgo, you've got. Torgo's my favorite in this issue. Yeah. In an issue with Planet Terry, Planet I still Terry. liked Torgo a little more. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard not to fall in love with Torgo. You really, it's really tough yeah. to not fall in love with Torgo and Aura, who's this bounty hunter. They're basically all trying to work together, which is not going very not well good at all. because Cammy and Planet Terry are sort of on one side. Uh, Drax is kind of on his own side, but he's also on the side with Aura and Torgo and. Um, and then Pip's involved in the middle, and they've got kids that they're trying to save and, like, get some money from. They've got this crazy space rock, and then they're being chased by all these people. There's Planetary is a delight. As much as, as you've said, Torgo is a breakout star. Torgo. But Planetary— The hate character of 2016. Planetary is kind of like, I don't know, almost like Scott Steiner— in here, he's just here, these giant weird muscles. He comes, he flexes, he says something, and people are like, ah. uh, but he's still exceptionally entertaining to watch. That's for sure. Uh, and Torgo has this just all these great lines, this crazy action, really, really fun stuff. It, it does that great bouncing act of being incredibly funny throughout, but all, and full of visual gags, but still having great action and a good emotional core. Yeah. So it's it's a damn fine comic book, and there's a really neat little bit of uh, business right at the end. We've got our latest guidebook to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and in this case, it takes a little bit of a turn because it's covering season one from Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That means you've got everything, level seven access granted to learn everything about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. 
uh, learn about Coulson, learn about May, learn about Ward, learn about Fitz, Simmons, Sky. There, I named everyone on the cover. Um, it's all in here, plus their enemies, their allies, and it's got that cool little feature where it tells you what they're like in the comics as well. So yeah. it's got a lot of information. Uh, if you're getting ready, I'm, I don't know if we're going to put out a season two or season three. I guess it's all going in the order that everything came out, but I love these uh, guidebooks to the Marvel Cinematic Universes. They're very cool. Very cool. All right. We've got Gwenpool, The Unbelievable, number three, written by Christopher Hastings, art by Guri Hiru, um, which, man, I love Guri Hiru mm-hmm. art so much. I think it's two or three ladies who are Guri Hiru. If I, I think so. I met them once. Uh, it's been a, it's been a couple years, but they are incredibly like, and talented. And together we are Guri Hiru. Not quite. They were just really really nice. Cool. And uh, CB introduced me to them. Anyway, uh, really really great art in here. It's like, you know, manga style, cartoony style. It's just so clean and bright and exciting. Uh, their Modok is the best. <laughs> he is great. He's got That's this great high phrase. He's got a mohawk and mohawk with uh, a mohawk. Christopher Modoc Hastings with a mohawk. Has a great voice for Modoc. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hastings is really terrific across the board. This might be the best Batroc ever. And, and the thing is, his Batroc is like straight down the line. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, I'm Batroc. I'm a badass. I will kick you. Yeah. The end. I love the deal. I mean, number one, Gwenpool is rapidly becoming one of my favorite Right? Characters. Like, I just... She's so endearing. Yes. Um, there's that's that's the word I would use to describe this character. You know, we'll decide to describe some characters as funny or other characters as badasses. Gwenpool is just endearing, and what they're you know what what they're doing as she's supposed to be from our world, from our universe. It really feels like she is. Yeah. But just like a really funny, cool friend you want to hang out with. But then there's some actual emotional stuff going on here with her parents yep. and uh, some. W- like, what was her yeah. deal for realsies? Great guest appearance by Doctor Strange. Oh, so good. This is the new sexy Doctor Strange, so... Well, and you know. they make a rep, they make a joke oh, about, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, our joke. world, Doctor Strange, which yeah. is delightful. Yeah, it's uh, it's all fun. It's yeah, it's great. It's a great homage to uh, Hayao Miyazaki's My Neighbor Toto. Yeah. Oh, good my catch. God. Josh Weiss. Yeah. Coming through. It is. In the clutch. Yes. Very good. Uh, and then... By the end, uh, Gwenpool has really like gotten some stuff locked in that she needs to establish herself in the Marvel universe, but maybe, uh, maybe not maybe for all the best. Maybe not, uh, not the so much. <laughs> maybe is that, not is that Italian so Tucker? It's a little taste. Oh. It's a little taste. Uh, Marvel Universe Ultimate Spider-Man Web Warriors Contest of Champions Part Four. <gasps> it's a mouthful, but the Grandmaster and his villains have defeated the Collector. And the heroes in a battle for New York City. So now, how do the heroes come back from this? They've been overrun by villains. This was written by Eugene Sun, directed by Tim Maltby, um, and it's adapted here by our buddy Joe Caramagna, who does a great job uh, adapting all of the animated hits. If you love Marvel Universe Ultimate Spider-Man, check it out here. If you're looking for something to give to all ages readers, check it out here. It's all good. Yes. All right, on to Mighty Thor number eight, written by Jason Aaron, art by Russell Dodderman, colors by Matt Wilson. Uh, so this gets us back into the the main ongoing storyline. Yeah, after that little uh, Hulk Viking story, yeah, which, was, which was amazing. Yeah, we're back to Thor, um, 
dealing with all the stuff that she has to deal with. It's a really cool story. Like Monday, she has to deal with this. Tuesday is this. That Wednesday is this. Everything she's you know she's dealing mm-hmm. with all this crazy stuff. But Tuesdays are the worst when she has to go back to being Jane Foster and go back and and deal with her reality, which is she's fighting cancer. Mm-hmm. She's got all these kinds of problems. And then Shield comes in. They're like, we need to talk to you. Yeah. You probably know Thor. Wait, hold on. All right. Um, uh, we're back. Little detour. Yeah. We're going to pause on uh, Mighty Thor because a guest just dropped into the room. Hi. Say hello. Hi. It's Greg Pak, everybody. Greg Pak, everyone. I, lo- I love that you guys pronounce my name correctly. Too. Yeah. It's We've been doing how, this how a few years. Puck? Pack. 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 A lot of pack. There's no C in there. No, when no. I see pack, it's with P-A-C-K. Yeah. yeah. You, you, gotta, you got it right, man. Rhymes with rock. Rhymes with shock. Yes. Rhymes, Rhymes with, with jock. I don't know why it would rhyme with <laughs> jock, but it does. Block. Uh, talk. Greg was here recording an episode going. of uh, <laughs> Women of Marvel. Women of Marvel, which, which is going to be out July 1st. Yes. We think. Probably. Yeah. Jacket. Uh, but we said, when I heard you were coming, I was like, hey, why don't we have Greg just stop in on our show yeah, as well? Just a nice Make little Make the cam- rounds. It's like you a nice know, little cameo. It's the way we do things. Here on it. here on the Marvel Media Network. Yes. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Hold that one. Marvel.com Media Network. What's that? Can we a podcast? Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. All his appearances are connected. Yes. So watch them all. But so, Greg, we're in the middle of This Week in Marvel where we do our weekly roundup of all the books. We try to tell people um, the things we love about the comics that came out that week and not get too spoilery. We haven't actually gotten to Totally Awesome Hulk, but Totally Awesome Hulk, number seven, out this week. There it is. Uh, yeah, we got it right on the table. And uh, is this the first time you worked with Alan Davis? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah, I was like, uh, was and that? Mark Farmer. It was amazing. Uh, yeah. Chris Sotomayor on art, and you, you wrote it. Um, I was like, you know, anytime Alan Davis is on a book, Love we're it. just... Super happy. Yeah, no, I mean he's you know a legend, right? And, yeah, uh, legit so, legend. And we're, and we're doing a bit of uh, you know, and so this is a, a story where we're finding out what was going on with Bruce or what's going on with Bruce um, once he gets uh, uh, cured of being the Hulk mm-hmm. and how he reacts. And uh, so, uh, uh, you know, Mark, the editor, told me that Alan Davis might be available to, to draw, and I was like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> he did an amazing job. You know? uh, yeah. He's a, He's one of these, you know, I mean, he is a legend for good reason. He's an amazing storyteller. He just, um, you know, just panel by panel, page by page, he's telling the story so clearly. And yeah. You can tell exactly what's going on. You don't need the dialogue. Of course, <laughs> he's got dialogue. He's got great dialogue. <laughs> got the dialogue, dialogue is top notch. It's, it's scintillating, I hear. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, it was a real pleasure. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I've always noticed and loved about Alan is his Hulk is very distinct. Mm-hmm. When he draws Bruce Banner Hulk, there's a very specific look to him. He's he's extra brutish, extra yeah. like aggro. He looks and, a like, lot really like cool. the original Kirby version. Yeah, he really looked like a monster. Yeah, and he and he pulled off drawing the Amadeus Hulk as well. I was going to ask yeah, what well, it was, I was like. Gonna say, yeah, what's it like so to see the Amadeus it, Hulk it's drawn by him? Totally awesome to yeah. see his, his Amadeus Hulk. Yeah, no, it, it's cool. I mean, we uh, you know we took a long time kind of figuring out uh, uh, just what the look of that Amadeus Hulk should be you know, mm-hmm. when, when Frank Cho first started the book with, with, with us. And, um, I mean, Frank did a great job and uh, kind of developed a look that just makes sense. And I think it's been pretty seamless for other artists to come on board and draw him. I mean, I love it because, you know, he's, he's a, you know, he's, Amadeus Cho is this Korean-American kid, and so when he turns into the Hulk, it's a big Asian Hulk, you know yeah. what I mean? But, and, uh, and folks have done a good job of kind of, you know, finding those, you know, uh, drawing 
those Asian features without it becoming a caricature. You know what I mean? And and uh, it's been it's been solid, and it's it looks awesome in the in the hair. You know, he's got the he's got the bit of a yeah. the faux hawk going, yeah. and yeah. Uh, uh, and everybody's got everybody draws that slightly differently. You know what I mean? But it but it always comes off, and uh, it's been a yeah, it's been a kick. I mean, to me, what it is is the original Hulk, uh, the Banner Hulk. Like we just said, he looks like a monster when he turns into the Hulk. Looks like someone who is miserable and unhappy with his lot in life. And when Amadeus becomes the Hulk, he looks to me, and maybe this is because it's me, he looks like a pro wrestler, <laughs> which is great because it's someone who is loving life because yeah. who, who is more over the top and, you know, kind of just like, ah, take a bite out of life than professional wrestlers. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That's, that's my take on it. No, I, I, I think that's a, that's a good take. Yeah. Amadeus, yeah, I mean, the, the big fun thing about this book is that Amadeus, he's a 19-year-old kid, cocky kid, and he thinks he's going to be the best Hulk ever because mm-hmm. he loves it. Um, and of course, he's got a lot to learn, and there's uh, there's something kind of creepy and dark going on at the same time, mm-hmm. which we will explore mm-hmm. as the issues go along. Um, uh, but uh, but just that it's got a different vibe, which is uh, I mean, these characters. The great thing about these characters, and the reason they've been around for so many years, is that you can take these central concepts and play with them in different ways, mm-hmm. and and have awesome stories that are very different from each other. Yeah. You know? Yeah. With all the years you wrote the Hulk. Um, your f- when your first run, were you at all kind of intimidated to come back on the book? I mean, I, I know it's new because it's Amadeus, but did you really feel like you had a lot more Hulk stories to tell? Um, yeah, you know, I uh, it, it's funny because I never like M- Mark Panicci, who was my who was my Hulk editor through all that, mm-hmm. and my Hulk editor now. Uh, I mean, we're good friends, but I never like I never came to him and pitched a Hulk story after hmm. I was done. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I kind of feel like when you when you finish a big run like that, and particularly when you finish the way we did, where we got to do a big ending, we yeah. got to really, it wasn't just like, you know, it kind of petered out. We got to do a big ending. And I kind of got to put a little, I got to, you know, put that uh, brushstroke on all of the different themes uh, and, uh, and, and storylines that we've developed over the five and a half years. Um, so I was kind of, I mean, I love the character. I was sad not to sure. keep going, but at the same time, I was, you know, I, I was done, you know, uh, and it was fantastic to be able to be done in that way. Um, but uh, but I always had a few Hulk stories in the back of my head that I thought would be fun to do. Um, uh, but then I got a call. I mean, Mark called me up and he said, hey, we're thinking about making Amadeus Joe the new Hulk. Would you be interested? And that was <laughs> something I never <laughs> thought of. That was not one of those <laughs> yeah. stories that I had That's in the great. back of my head. And but it made so much sense. Yeah. And it was just I couldn't I could not even begin to say no. I was mm-hmm. like yes. I mean I think I you know I was probably saying yes before he finished the sentence nice. just because it was <laughs> it immediately opened up this whole new realm of stories. I mean if he if he called up and he said hey would you like to come back on the Hulk and you know and that was it I probably would have said yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah of course but um but this this was I mean this was above and beyond you know what I mean because yeah. it's a chance to come back to a book and not kind of redo something you've done before but do something completely different and, yeah. and but but at the same time play it with all those themes that you love mm-hmm. in a new way so it was uh, it's been a blast yeah uh, in here we we see Amadeus mentioned he's the eighth smartest person on the planet which is something that you know we've we've seen before if you read your run uh previously but for new readers i think that it's a fun little thing have you and who else who else was writing with like there was that joke was running a yeah, lot yeah jeff Loeb. it was jeff other, okay yeah, yeah. who uh have you guys ever mapped out those those we, that like top 10 yeah well we uh there was a point when uh, we did a big crossover story yep. uh fall of the hulks and world war hulks and that's and when you kidnapped all of them exactly all the big brains yeah. get kidnapped and 
So I don't think we ever came out with a definitive ranking, but among those, those, yeah, we had we had definitely people who were who are on that list. I, although I would amend that list now. I mean, I'd I'd include like Valeria Richards, uh, mm. just the way she's developed over the years, um, for one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was like uh, some of the usual suspects, right? It was Doctor Doom, T'Challa, Reed Richards, Hank Pym. Uh, uh, who am I forgetting? Hank uh, McCoy. Hank McCoy. Yeah. Um, Forgetting somebody, I said Reed Richards, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and Amadeus and Bruce. Yep. So that's like seven. Um, and yeah, there, w- there was, there's got to be. There's an more. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you if you started to count more villains, like I guess Samus would only probably be mm-hmm. up there somewhere, and uh, but um, yeah, it's it was. I mean, it's it's fun. I mean, we never. I always avoided uh, putting out a list. Right. Of oh. my own because it's. I mean, first off, because there was no definitive list. Also, because let's let's face it, intelligence is not. Rankable in that kind <laughs> of way, you know what I mean? It's sort yeah. of a specious idea. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, I mean, like you could you could definitely say that you know people's certain aspects of intelligence certainly can be ranked. You know, like mm-hmm. just in terms of people's ability just to calculate raw data. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, um, in which case Amadeus would rank very high. But you know, like um, but there are different kinds of uh, intelligence. I mean, uh, and and uh, but anyway, but the um, <laughs> and actually in one recent issue, I think we. We had, uh, we, we, uh, I, when it was referenced, it was like that, that Amadeus ranked this on, like, on the, on the Pim Doom scale or something <laughs> like that, like, that, that, that they had come up with yeah, some, yeah. some very specific mm, scale, you know, so great. it's, uh, uh, I, I can't remember where we did that, but, but no, I mean, but, but the real, the fun of that is to let other people, to let fans, you know, yeah. speculate and, and play with that. So now that we're in Civil War Two, this is the first Civil War Two tie-in, um, it mainly, kind of dovetails with Civil War II, not in the main event yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you're going on your Civil War II tie-ins, what can we expect to see? Well, starting with issue nine, okay, well, uh, yeah, so issue seven and eight are Banner-centric issues, mm-hmm. so if you care about Banner, uh, and if you care about Amadeus and Banner, uh, in particular, uh, you definitely want to grab these issues, both uh, gorgeously drawn by Alan Davis, colored by Chris Sotomayor. Um, don't you dare miss them. And they're um, really good, like, especially this one, there's a lot of good emotional yep. stuff in here. Yeah, we took, a lot, we took a lot of time with it. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I talked a lot with uh, both Axel and Mark about it, and, and we really, you know, massaged it deep. We wanted to give it that room to breathe, mm-hmm. um, which is beautiful. You know, I mean, when you have that chance, sure, to, uh, give it those pages. So, yeah, both seven and eight have, uh, you know, we really try to go deep. Um, starting with issue nine, Amadeus is on the run, and it is a it, it ties in directly with Civil War stuff. Uh, T'Challa will be on his tail. Uh, for reasons to be mm. explained. Mm-mm. Not a good uh, guy to have on so your tail. Exactly, no. exactly. It's like one of the few people who can match Amadeus uh, uh, in terms of brains mm-hmm. and also, you know, summon up uh, the technology to, to, to take him on mm-hmm. uh, in terms of brawn as well. So it's a oh, very fun, yeah. fun thing. Also, cats are terrific hunters. Mm. Yes. And yes, they, exactly. they are very good trackers. Bit of a cat and hulk game, if yeah. you will. Mm. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so and and, and uh, but yeah, issues nine through twelve will tie in uh, to the director. You can you can read those by themselves. Um, uh, so have no fear if you're just reading the Hulk book. Uh, it, it, it everything will be self-explanatory within the book. Um, but uh, but it'll also open up uh, you know certain aspects of the whole Civil War experience. So you definitely don't want to miss it. So the way we I do like it. The, I like the Civil War experience. Yes. There you go. Just like you're in the middle of a Civil War. Whoa. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. 
wringing my neck here. <laughs> uh, Greg, where are fans going to find you on the internet? I'm at gregpock.com, G-R-E-G-P-A-K.com. Also, gregpock on uh, on Twitter. Yeah. There you go. Cool. Thanks, Thanks for, for stopping by. For sure. Yeah, yeah. You guys are awesome. Thanks so much for having me. A delightful surprise. <laughs> and uh, we'll be right back. Oh, and we're back. We're back. That was almost like instantaneous. Yeah. Felt like no time at all had no. passed. All right. Terrific. So back to the Mighty Thor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're the Mighty Thor. What I think what I love that is established in this is this cool consortium of evil businessmen, evil businessmen to the max. Yep. You've got Tiberius Stone, who's uh, one of the heads of Alchemax. Sebastian Shaw, who's not the first time we'll see him this week and on the I podcast. And I love that it's, it is the first time we've seen him. I mean, it's not the only time, it's, I should say. It is the first time we've yeah. seen him. Um, but I love that Sebastian Shaw, even when he's going to a meeting of business people, still dresses up in full Hellfire Club yep. regalia. He is, that's his own, it's his only outfit. It's he's all like, he owns. He's like, I love frills. Yeah. And I can take a punch it's from like, the Hulk. So nobody steps like to me. I got a closet full of collars. Yeah. Just waiting to go. He's like, Prince was the best. Yep. <laughs> I'm dressing like my idol. Uh, you got Darren Cross, who's founder of Cross. Very little. Enterprise, yeah. He's shrink. He's tiny. He's a little fellow. Uh, Ezekiel Stain, head of Stain. It's been a while since you've seen yeah. Ezekiel Stain. That's a, that was a nice callback. Shingen Harada, who is uh, CEO of Yoshida Corporation, also Silver, Silver Samurai. Samurai. Uh, Ferdox, who I don't remember ever seen before, but is basically a Shi'ar business person. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wilhelmina Kensington, CEO of Kilgore Arms. That was from the Wolverine and the X-Men, yep. the new Hellfire Club. Yep, yep. So we've got two two generations of Hellfire mm. Clubs here. Uh, you've got Wilson Fisk, president of Fisk Industries. Also known as the Kingpin in some oh. circles. How do you do? It's a criminal empire, some would say. And, of course, Dario Agar, CEO of Roxon, Roxon. who has been the thorn in... The Everyone sides of started. two Hulks yeah. of two late. Thors. Two Yeah, what did I say? Hulks? Hulks. Yes. Uh, two Thors of late, uh, which all this turns into this wonderful discussion and argument between all of them. Um, to the point where Dario's like, you are all chumps. I am the best. It's, it's like a wrestling promo mm-hmm. almost. He's like, I'm the best. You're not going to touch me. I'm going to wipe the floor with you. I'll destroy you. And they're all like, no, <laughs> not you. To the point where then Silver Samurai steps up and it he just suits up. He suits up, steps up, is terrific. Uh, everybody's going to throw down, but we get the return of a character we haven't seen in yeah. quite a while. Very welcome return. Yes, uh, and if you need, once you read this issue, we'll talk about it. I'm sure. Oh, you're more talking about the villainous return. Yes, I was going to say we also oh. haven't seen Ross Solomon. Ross Solomon, quite some time, and she's back in this. Yeah, issue Shield too. Agent Ross Solomon, terrific. But um, there's a villain who shows up here mm. who is uh, a, a surprise. J- a Jason Aaron all-star. Yes. And coming up in here, and you can read more about this character in one of our previous Twim URCs. Yes. I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but it's quite a ways back mm-hmm. in the Marvel Boy limited series. There you go. I'll give you that little hint and leave it at that. Leave it. Uh, but it's a terrific issue, some really cool stuff, and it's interesting to see how it all shakes down. Mm-hmm. I was not expecting it to go that direction. Yeah, it goes an interesting direction for yes. sure. Uh, keep you guessing here in the Mighty Thor. For sure, for sure. Great issue. Okay, over in Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, number eight, written by Brandon Montclair and Amy Reeder. The art is by Natasha 
Bustos, and the colors are by Tamara Bonvillain. Uh, we have seen Lunella Lafayette's powers activate, and her powers basically throw her mind into the body of Devil Dinosaur, and the mind of Devil Dinosaur into her body. So she's got to go around trying to figure out how how to get around this, because now Lunella, with Devil's brain, is rampaging through her classroom, causing all sorts of problems, interacting with this Cree kid who she doesn't know is Cree, who has infiltrated the classroom. And then she's in Devil's body, initially in her lab, trying not to destroy stuff, complaining about her arms being too small, oh as God. you would if you're a T-Rex, and then kind of rampaging through the city, sometimes having fun with it, sometimes being very annoyed by it. But this is everything Lunella was afraid of. She didn't want these powers. She didn't want... Uh, being inhuman to disrupt her life and all the things you want, and you kind of gotta, you gotta feel for her because it really does screw up her day. Um, but she also cares about Devil Dinosaur, and she's gonna find a way to solve this. And um, she is committed to being the best she can be. Totally. Uh, that book, every issue, I love it more and more. Mm -hmm. So good. All right, on to Ms. Marvel number eight, also a Civil War two tie-in. Uh, there's two two things going on here, but it's written by G. Willow Wilson. Art on the the first couple pages, the like sort of intro story by Adrian Alfona. Um, I'm not sure which colors because Ian Herring and Irma Nivila uh, worked on the colors for this issue. But the first couple pages, the ones drawn by Adrian, focus on telling a little bit of history, some of uh, the history of Kamala's family, I believe. Um, we'll see more of that as the uh, story goes on. But then the the main part of the story, the current present day stuff, is all drawn by Takeshi Miyazawa. That's terrific. But this is Ms. Marvel going to space. Mm -hmm. Going to talk to her idol, Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, and getting a mission. Being like, basically Carol's like, I need help. I need you to do this thing for me. I need you to, to be a part of my crew. And of course, Ms. Marvel's like, down with that. Yes. She's very down with that. Very much down with that. And Carol lays it all out, too. Yep. She's like, hey, we've got this guy, Ulysses. His power is basically he can predict the future really specifically for really terrible things. Mm -hmm. And that puts Ms. Marvel in motion to work with kind of her own Kamala Corps. Yeah. Um, Ooh, I like that. Yeah. I just made it up. Just did. Just off the top of my head. Doesn't she call it like Carol's Cadets or something? Yeah, she does. But I, I like the Kamala, Kamala Corps. Corps. I like because they end Corps. up being like Kamala's uh, sidekicks Corps. in here. Yeah, like her core. Uh, so this crew of really smarty smarts, uh, one of them who does CrossFit, they they <laughs> like this crew of smarty smarts and one who does CrossFit. It does. Yeah, uh, they're doing this. They they they're working with Kamala. They're trying to utilize Ulysses' information, uh, all this stuff. While at the same time, things aren't quite perfect in Kamala's mind mm -hmm. and she's she's looking for consultation she's looking for guidance uh, wherever she can find it to figure out is what she's doing right what does this mean for her what does this mean for her reality really because by the end of the issue she's going to face a big challenge yep and anyone can read that issue of Miss Marvel not everyone should read Nighthawk number two if you are a child uh, or if you're a little squeamish. If you're a dumb baby who can't read yet, you probably shouldn't be reading comics anymore. Don't look anywhere. at the pretty pictures. Yes. Uh, under dumb, stupid, illiterate babies Yikes. who are like two take, years old or here. younger, maybe don't. Yeah, probably don't read Nighthawk number two. If you're an adult who loves good comics, do check out Nighthawk number two. 
underneath this uh, beautiful cover by Dennis Cowan, Bill Sinkevich, and Chris Sotomayor. We have the story by David F. Walker, art by Ramon Villalobos. Beautiful art by Ramon Villalobos. Just oh, crazy. So good. Uh, and colors by Tamara Von Villain. Um, Nighthawk has made himself a presence in Chicago, and that means taking out corrupt cops. It means breaking arms. It means breaking hands and fingers. It means beating these guys to a pulp to the point where they're bleeding out of their arms and their faces. He has made an impression. Um, there's a thing going on where now they, they, a dirty cop may be responsible for the death of a kid. This is definitely reflecting on real-life events, and we see how Nighthawk approaches the issue. Nighthawk, and um, we've got... Who is... We have Tilda, who works with him. Yes. Is Tilda an established character? I don't... Th- I think she's part... Oh, she's I mean, just, just established in the last issue. There is a serial killer out there called The Revelator, who is targeting... Basically, it looks like he's tar- tar- targeting scumbags. But Nighthawk, um, you know, is not... He's, he's drawing the line between what this guy's doing and what he's doing. He brutally beats people, but he doesn't kill them. Except so, he definitely blew up a building full of he racists. Did. He did. I'm okay with it. He did. Well, I'm not okay with, with real-world yeah. killing. I, but in this instance, he blew up a building full of racists. I think that's part of the interesting thing about Nighthawk is that he's fighting the serial killer, but what kind of line does he walk, you know? is he? I walk the line. He's not that far from doing the same things that he's trying to punish this guy for. Uh, we get an unnamed cameo by Bloodshed and Old Spider-Man. I was villain. like, I don't know who this is, but Ben's going to know who yep, it is. He's great. Uh, Nighthawk fights him. Nighthawk is working with one of the cops, kind of reluctantly. There's some stuff going on in a construction yard. Uh, Tilda is great at just kind of um, being counterpoint to Nighthawk. Well, the, the, the thing with the cop and um, Nighthawk, mm-hmm. the cop is sort of dancing around the fact that there's a giant history of racial inequality and racial based violence and some really terrible things and Nighthawk is like trying to get him to own up to it Mm -hmm. say this is what's been going on and this is like this needs to be dealt with Mm -hmm. it was a really good conversation I mean it's fantastic it's it's just a really smart book Um, it's addressing some stuff that is huge in the world today and it's uh, it's addressing it smartly and it's addressing it maturely yeah um, so from that David F. Walker book, we go over to we Power Man and Iron Fist. 180 to the other different David F. Walker Which book. is terrific because he is so damn good. So he wrote uh, Nighthawk. He also wrote Power Man and Iron Fist number five, art by Flaviano, mm. colors by Jean Rock. Uh, so Guest start. Sanford Green took a break this issue, so Flaviano stepped in. And yeah. Wow. Did Flaviano step in? You better believe it. So good. So this is like a good one-and-done story. We get established that there's a... It's a Rashomon story. Rashomon? They say it in the letters page. Oh, when well, you, like... You know, when you replay a story from different like points several of view. different points of right, view. Right, right, right. I was... Yes. You were getting to that. Yeah. Um, so the uh, we established an amazing DJ... Uh, Jimbo, who is host of the Yo Jimbo show. Great name. Uh, Great which name. Just like as a New Yorker, that feels so. Feel it just real. feels 100% accurate. Like Yo Jimbo show and like this whole scenario. Who's talking about the that Power Man and Iron Fist have reunited? And he's got his take on it. He's talking about. Uh, he gets a caller. Caller tells his whole story about how Power Man and Iron Fist 
fought uh, Manslaughter Marsdale. Yes, real character. And I've never heard of him yep. before. He's 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 legit. He's giant, very strong dude who doesn't feel no, pain. No feel pain. Yep. Did you say no feel pain? No feel pain. Uh, uh, telling this story, uh, there's a hot dog cart that's been thrown. So we we get various calls. I like that. There's a hot dog cart that's been thrown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you get various calls from people who have takes on this, mm-hmm. and it's terrific. At the same time, we get to hear about uh, – we get to go to Danny and Luke who are getting themselves situated. They're like, all right, they realize they're doing this. They're moving forward. Uh, Danny is – basically putting together uh, a flying car for them. He, they, he bought a fantastic car mm-hmm. from the FF estate or the FF or whatever it is. I mean, the FF, they gave away all their stuff, right? Yeah. So there you go. Sure. And uh, so th- that they're using that as the Power Fist Mobile. Yeah. Uh, which, which sounds terrible. Oh, I love it. I love, love, love it. Uh, just lots of really funny stuff. It's a very it, – it's light. Uh, in terms of like, there's no, like the themes of Nighthawk do not spill over no. here. But it's really funny. It's it's very self-aware though. Yes, very self-aware. Just, just terrific. It's one of my favorite books. Yeah, period. consistently. Consistently. Uh, shout out to Fabiano for coming in, stepping into some gigantic shoes, uh, and, and doing a great job. Uh, and also colors by John Rock. It's just really really fun. I love seeing the Rashomon points of view. Here. Yes, the Rashomon style of storytelling is one that we've always enjoyed. Yes, on this weekend. Do you Marvel. know who the director of that film was? Did they say it? No. You know. Yeah, the there it is. Good. Wow. Um, it's like a pop culture sponge. This guy. He is. He is. From Finding Dory to Kurosawa, he knows it all. Yep. Um, From Finding Dory to Kurosawa, the Josh Weiss story. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't recommend Power Man and Iron Fist. Enough. It's really great. It is damn near perfect. And speaking of buddy duos who uh, exist in the Marvel Universe, let's talk about Rocket Raccoon and Groot, number six of their series, written by Scotty Young, who I believe this is actually his final issue, art by Brett Bean, Brett with two Ts, color art by our buddy John Francois Bellew, and we have Scotty goes out on a note of having Rocket and Groot basically compete with each other. Uh, Rocket is determined to prove that he is better than Groot at something, anything. They play pool, they throw darts, they play ping pong, they play video games, they have a drinking contest, they go out into space and race and try to destroy things. It ends up as part of a mission and they keep doing competition. It's a lot of fun, really putting the Rocket and Groot relationship on display. How, why we've come to love these guys as not just individual characters, but as a team. They're a lot of fun. The art is great by uh, Brett Bean. I've never seen his work before. Uh, really impressed by it. And just a really cool way for, uh, for Scotty to say goodbye to these characters. Yeah. Um, all right. On to Scarlet Witch number seven. I love this issue. This was such a damn great I comic book. I love this issue, man. Oh. oh. So this is, this is this is James Robinson at his very best. This one and done Scarlet Witch style, where he's just you know dealing with a character who he introduced in Last Days of Magic during uh, that one shot where he did in the short story. I'm sorry, I'll let you talk about. No, it. I, I was. Just, you, I love this. Issue. You got to the key point that I wanted to make yep. sure we got off the bat that if you're confused, if you're reading this and you're like, mm-hmm. who is this character? I don't think you would be though. I think no, it's a pretty good job. But of like, but if you want to learn more. 
the August and the August Wu. Yep. Um, the the main the, the character who we're really introduced to here, we've met her mom in that last days of magic story, and it really sets up like how the Wu, the the woman who's the co-star here, is of two worlds and where she stands and what her deal is. Um, but you don't have to have read that. You could just dive right in. It's written by James Robinson, art by the amazing Annie Wu, colors by Munsa Vicente, and it's you know it's just one hell of a, an issue. It's set in Hong Kong. Scarlet Witch is looking for the Wu. Mm-hmm. She is looking to you know Scarlet Witch is sort of like checking off things that she needs to get done. Right. Uh, all the while, and something we touch on here and there is that the more Scarlet Witch uses her powers, the Sooner she's going to die. It's yeah. aging her down. I mean, we've talked about in Doctor Strange, the price of magic. Yep. This is another take on the price of magic, which is really becoming the keyword and bellwick for uh, what we're doing in sorcery these days in Marvel. Yeah. Um, first appearance that we see of the Wu in this, she's, you know, mid-jump, bullet uh, time, just like chow yun fat, uh, just... Shooting off guns and being awesome and being so man. cool. Have you ever seen The Killer, Josh? Uh, no, John Woo that. movie. Uh, I was going to curse because The Killer is one of my favorite movies. Uh, I love Hong Kong cinema. Some really great stuff in there. Anyway, it, this feels like right mm-hmm. out of those classics from the 80s um, that, I, that I've watched so many times. Um, 80s and 90s. Um, where, am I, where am I going with this? This is Somewhere. fun because good. you've got like this almost noir story mm-hmm. uh, where the Wu is a cop. She's in Hong Kong. She's trying to deal with all the crime. At the same time, there's all this magic craziness going on that she sort of sees, she knows about, and she has to find that balance of how she deals with everything. Um, the big bad for this is established right in the beginning. It's a really cool like fable almost. Um, really story, this, this cool story about how this – character comes to power and how they've lived so friggin long really cool battle awesome fight scarlet witch does what she needs to do the Wu yeah. does what she needs to do i feel like there's some flirting going on and it's really Might terrific yeah, and definitely. i love everything and if you told me that we were going to have a woo i would buy a comics i would buy a woo book in a second in the hot i, mean, I wouldn't beat. buy it because we get it for free we get it for free but right. you know what i mean i would tell people to buy it i would tell people to buy it and i would read it vociferously vociferously i say and i say star wars the force awakens adaptation number one which is an adaptation of the film star wars the force awakens it's written by chuck wendig art by luke ross colors by frank martin uh yeah if you've seen the movie and you want to get a comics version of it here it is if you haven't seen the movie because you just read comics here's a great way for you to uh be able to have a conversation with your friends about star wars the force awakens because you're like i don't go to the movies i only read comics and you know that's really held you back from being a fully social person. Don't worry, Marvel's here for you. We Josh, figured it out. Are you familiar with the Star Wars? I love the Star Wars. Yeah, okay. all the Star Wars. Yeah, he covered he covered your role of Star Wars guy while you were out when Terrific. I was doing this solo. Um, but let's also talk about Ultimates number eight. This is a tie into Civil War two. It's written by Al Ewing, art by Kenneth Rockefort, who has become one of my favorites. Real, real quick. Uh, Kenneth Rockford just draws such beautiful, inventive stuff. Uh, Colors by Dan Brown, which are also gorgeous. We get to see how the Ultimates came to be, and it's cool. It's like a linked thing where 
Captain Marvel goes to visit Black Panther. Black Panther has a suggestion for someone to be on the team. She visits Blue Marvel, who has a suggestion for someone to be on the team. They keep linking and linking. We also see how the U.S. government thinks of the Ultimates and what they ultimately have planned for them. What they ultimately have planned for them. Ah, ah, yes, we're professionals. and then we get to see the battle with Thanos that took place in Civil War II. From another perspective, we get to see kind of the planning of it. Uh, Carol calling in A-Force. And we see the fate of War Machine from one other direction. And the toll it takes on the Ultimates um, and a new relationship. Smooch time. There's road to bone zone action going on. And then a very ominous last panel featuring a very ominous character. Yes. Also so good, Uncanny Avengers, so good. number 10, written by Jerry Duggan, art by Pepe Larraz, colors by David Curiel. All right, Pepe Larraz is on fire. On point. Holy frijoles. I would say on fleek. You will not say that. <laughs> uh, so damn good. It's like every issue, I, and I think we've said this before, every issue we've seen of Pepe's work over mm-hmm. the last year – from the Kanan stuff to the Uncanny Avengers stuff, everything is, like, just better and better mm-hmm. and better and better. And it helps, yes, we've got an amazing colorist with David Curiel because, like, Ben, look at this. This is, like, the second page here, and you've got this cool monster, mm-hmm. but, like, the shading and the, the color. Oh, so good. The yep. art in this is gorgeous. This uh, Wish I could see him. Yeah. Aww. I can't see colors as you're shoving this green brown thing in my face and I have no idea what it is. It's beautiful. I bet. I'll tell you it's beautiful. Uh, so, yes, I'm colorblind. I'm sorry. Thanks, Josh. You understand. I'll be your eyes. Don't too. baby him, Joshua. Did you hear that? It's, you cut him off with a great line. I'll be your eyes. It's amazing. <laughs> God. Uh, now you have to sing that I'll be your hero song, right? The Gabriel Iglesias song. Yeah. Hero. There you go. Uh, so this issue really is about Hank Pym, the new Hank Pym, the fused with Ultron Hank Pym. Did you say Gabriel Iglesias? Isn't that the comedian? Yeah, I'm thinking of... Enrique Iglesias? Maybe. The singer-songwriter? Maybe. What's the going son on? of Julio Iglesias? They yeah. Should, they should do a, a duet. Collab. Yeah. Can we get back to The Iglesias to this, Brothers. Please? What's going on in Uncanny Avengers, Ryan? Right. So uh, Hank Pym is back. They thought he was dead. He's merged nope, with Ultron. so much. And everybody's kind of like, eh, we should probably talk to him and see what's going on with him. So they send Wasp to have a good chit-chat with him. Does not go well in Uh-oh. her esteemed opinion. Um, there's a really cool little bit with Hank and Cable, and I love that Cable is I just I love having here. Cable as an Avenger. I just – give me more Cable, all yep. the Cable. Um, we get to see a little bit more what Hank's deal is. And it involves explosions. It involves terrifyingness. It involves um, really creepy things being said. It's terrific. And it is probably going to end up in some uh, upset people. Some tragedy. All right. Finally, we come to Web Warriors number eight, written by Mike Costa, art by David Baldion, inkers Walden Wong and Roberto Poggi, colors Matt Yaki and Rochelle Rosenberg. What a, I didn't know how long, to be honest, they were going to be able to run with this concept of Spider-Verse, which is just all these alternate Spider-Man. It's kind of like Exiles. It reminds me a little bit of that. It reminds me a lot of Exiles. Sliders. Sliders also. Yeah. Um, but to go more Marvel Exiles. I love Sliders. Um, and I just I get a kick out of 
just seeing all these different spider characters mushed together there's some really funny moments stuff with spider ham who's the john reese davies uh probably spider ham yeah yeah spider ham for sure um we had some funny stuff with mayday parker making finger sandwiches for all the electros they call classic mayday um we've got back at the at the where the center of the web is we've got stuff going on with karn with octavia auto is that her name octavia auto i believe so great name uh, and they're giant. They're battling this giant robot, and I love the reveal. Oh my god! Of what the giant robot is. Oh my god! Is. I kind of want to say it. Oh my god! Uh, it's a megamorph. It's a megamorph. Which a is megamorph. This toy line which, that we uh, did. It's hilarious. Um, I, I did like a key and peel. Yeah. Uh, like running around, like arms flopping around, like losing my stuff with that reveal. In that trying made me to, so happy. In trying to repair the Web of Destiny, the uh, Web Warriors end up getting split to even more worlds. Some of them go to Spider-Man Noir's world. Uh, Spider-Gwen ends up in this kooky world, like some two-dimensional, who knows what this is. We'll find out next issue, I hope. Um, it's all very funny. It's just fun. It's everything you would want. It's the same way Spider-Verse was awesome because it was like every Spider-Man ever and it was fully realized and it was a great concept done well that's what web warriors is month in and month out josh i feel like you're breathing again Sorry. we talked about yeah. this yeah we talked about, talked about really your breathing up over yeah. all those spider-man so, yeah, we yeah. talked about the breathing so since you're so worked up what comic are you most excited to read oh, gwenpool mm, good choice that was that was one of my leading candidates but mine this week this was hard. It was really tough. I went back and forth between – I had Captain America Sam Wilson in mm -hmm. there. I had Nighthawk in there. I had Power Man and Iron Fist in there. I know there are other books I had in there, Totally Awesome Hulk, which we talked about with Greg Pak. But head and shoulders above the rest for me was Scarlet Witch. Yeah. Such a good issue. So good. Scarlet Witch is my tweet of the week. Yeah, I, I think – oh, gosh, it's really tough. There are, like, four exceptional standouts for mm -hmm. me. Cap Sam Wilson – um, Scarlet Witch, Power Man and Iron Fist, and Deadpool v Gambit, which wow. I hate to say. Wow. I hate to say e -gads. it. Yeah, Gambit should not be a thing that I like. Um, so I'm going to give it to Power Man and Iron Fist. Good call. Number five. Yeah. So great. good. Also on sale this week in collections, we've got Carnage Classic, Deadpool Dracula's Gauntlet, Legendary Star-Lord Volume 3 First Flight, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur Volume 1 BFF, NYX The Complete Collection, Red Wolf, Man Out of Time, Star Wars Legends Epic Collection The Rebellion Volume 1, and X-Men Inferno Volume 2. Nice. Uh, digital Comics on sale this week, uh, the books we've talked about, as well as Daredevil Punisher 7th Circle Infinite Comic Number 8. Also, on the Marvel app this week, we've got Amazing Spider-Man 410 and 430 and 431. Avengers West Coast 17 through 20, 22 through 24. Bullseye, Greatest Hits 1 through 5. Carnage, Mind Bomb. Mind Bomb. 19, from 1996. Carnage. Where else would it be from? Uh, right. With a name like Carnage, Mind Bomb. Carnage, It's a Wonderful Life, number Aww. one. Sweet. Defenders 12 through 21 from 1972, the original run. Doctor Strange, number five from 1974. Giant Size Defenders 1 through 4 from 1975. Can we pause for a second? There was a... Not on the thing, Josh. Damn it. Uh, you were good. You were too quick. I, I meant pause from this list. There was a Secret Defenders reference in Doctor Strange's Oh, week. yeah. I oh, it was excellent. Lost it. I, right. love that, I love that we're at that point where all this stuff from our childhood is now reference points. Yes. It's so great. Good. 
which we've come a long way. Yes. All right, back to the list of comics on sale on the Marvel app. We've got Marvel Fanfare 19, Marvel Feature 1 through 3, Marvel Team-Up Annual number 6, Marvel 2 and 1, 6 through 7, NYX No Way Home 1 through 6, Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man 69 and 70, 81 and 82, 94 and 95, Peter Parker Spider-Man number 13, Sensational Spider-Man number 3, Spectacular Spider-Man 233, uh, Spider-Man number 67, Submariner 34 and 35, Venom, Carnage Unleashed 1 through 4, Web Spinners, Tales of Spider-Man 13 and 14, and X-Force 116 through 129. You see it there, and you'll see it again in Freshly Digitized, and last week in Freshly Digitized, we're adding a lot of 90s Spider-Man. So if that's a particular hole in your collection or something you've been looking for, um, you know, with the upcoming Spider-Man event that was just announced, the Clone Conspiracy, you're definitely going to want to read up on your 90s Spider-Man, and it is available to you on the app as well as Marvel Unlimited. Digital collections on sale this week on the app. Avengers, West Coast Avengers, Lost in Space Time, Bullseye, Greatest Hits, Cloak and Dagger, Crime and Punishment, Defenders Masterworks, Volume 2 and 3, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, Volume 1, BFF, NYX, The Complete Collection, Red Wolf, Man Out of Time, and Star Wars Legends, Epic Collection, The Rebellion, Volume 1. Yeah. All right. A lot of freshly digitized comics this week. We've got Amazing Spider-Man, number 5, Angela, Queen of Hell, number 3, Captain America, Sam Wilson, number 4, Daredevil, number 2. Darth Vader 14, Deadpool number 4, Extraordinary X-Men 4, Figment 2, numbers 1 through 3, Captain uh, Marvel's Captain America Civil War Prelude number 1, Mighty Thor number 2, Ms. Marvel number 2, Silk number 2, Spider-Man Funeral for an Octopus 1 through 3. Great title. Spider-Man Maximum Clonage Alpha and Omega, Spider-Man The Clone Journal number 1. These are, these are all just brilliantly titled stuff spider-man the jackal files mm-hmm. number one spider-man the lost years one really zero good. through three lost years is really good is that a ben riley story it's a ben riley story by john uh, romita jr john romita jr definitely draws it yeah i want to say jam dematius mm. is the writer i'm pretty sure that he is that's gonna be a good one yeah it's very good spider-man unlimited number nine squadron supreme number one star brand and night mask number one Ultimate End, number five. Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, number three. Uncanny and Humans, number three. Venom Super Special, number one. Uh, Web of Spider-Man, 117 through 120. Web of Spider-Man Super Special, number one. Web Warriors, number two. And Weird World, number one. So many comics. So many comics available for you guys this week. More than you could ever possibly read in one sitting. And now, from Marvel Headquarters, it's This Week in Marvel Ben, what do we got for news? All right, over in news for comics, we've been teasing this new Marvel Now that's coming in the fall of 2016. Not a lot of details to offer, but we have shown some visual images, which I think will stimulate everybody. Check those out. Uh, Kind of attached to that, one of the new series that's going to be coming out is written by Jeffrey Thorne from Marvel's Ultimate Spider-Man, drawn by Carrie Randolph. It's called Mosaic, and it's about a new inhuman who is a world-famous basketball player who gains the power to jump from one body to another, just like Quantum Leap, um, and loses his own body in the process. And kind of a cool, very high concept pitch on identity and self and all that great stuff. And the artwork that Carrie Randolph has put out so far looks fantastic. So this is going to be a new hit. Is the basketball player Dikembe Mutombo? It is not Dikembe Mutombo. What about John Stockton? Not John Stockton either. Wow. Pippin. Scotty Pippin. Pippin. 
Pippin, the play, uh, the uh, Broadway show. Uh, Patrick Ewing. You just think John Stark. Just go with Dream Teamers now. John Starks, that's a deep cut. I'm from New York. Nice I remember hearing right. on the news all the so, time. So, yeah, Mosaic, basketball player. There's there's a lot more to him than just that. Though. Okay. It's going to be a really good series. Over in games, Marvel Future Fight added Hyperion, and we dig a whole bunch of the game dyna- uh, dynamics and the game engine. Um, take a look at our article. Justin Snyder went deep on that. And in Avengers Alliance, we've got a new spec op based on the Black Vortex uh, story. It's only Guardians of the Galaxy, Mantis, Moon Dragon, and Dun Dun Dun, Richard Ryder. Your boy. Are available as reward characters. Finally, I can play as Richard Ryder in Marvel Avengers Alliance. I knew there was a reason I was still playing that game. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're now specifically catering to me. Yeah, they're like, we're doing this for Ben. Do it for Ben. So. Uh, terrific. Uh, not a lot of news other ways, but let's kick it over to Strami and the Wolfman and see what they got. It's the West Coast, show me and the Wolfman. It's the West Coast, show me and the Wolfman. It's the West Coast, show me and the Wolfman. It's the West Coast, baby. Hello there. This week in Marvelites, this is Marvel.com editor Mark Strom, joined by... Marvel.com assistant editor Patrick Cavanaugh. For another thrilling installment of the Strami and the Wolfman show, starring the Wolfman and Strami, in which we debate... Are red vines There's no superior debate. There's no debate. or just vastly superior? Red vines are absolutely atrocious. No, no. Red vines are superior Twizzlers. No. Yes. No. Yes, this is a fact. No, it's not. Yep, many people agree with me. No. I've, you might find agreement from individuals, but anyone who prefers red vines to Twizzlers inherently is not a person no so I, saying that there are people who agree I see, with you i see what you're going doing here you think twizzlers are red vines and red vines are twizzlers no yeah you're mixing it up no what you mean to what i understand what you're saying listeners understand what you're saying we're in complete agreement it's just you're a little confused if anyone likes red vines more at all even more than eating dirt wow uh, you probably enjoy wax lips candy. What is wax lips candy? Uh, they're these like funny lips that you bite on, and it looks like you have a funny mouth. Think about what red vines taste like, mm-hmm. and uh, build a fake mouth out of that. I want it. Yeah, candles, wax lips, red vines all taste exactly the same. No, they do not taste anything like. Candles. How would you know? Do you eat a lot of candles? So what have we got going on this week? Brand new episode of Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy airing this Sunday at 8 a.m. on Disney XD. Brand new episode. That's right. There was not a new episode last week, but there's a new one this week. Uh, Gamora tries to escape something but falls into a trap set by Nebula and Ronin and a Grandmaster. Ah, oh, crap. I, knew there was a thir- I haven't been recording. Art. <laughs> no, I've been recording. <laughs> I just wanted to... <laughs> you guys it's... like saying fart on this podcast. Yes, that's it. That's all I said. So... Take that. Plus, it's not surprising for you to get halfway through a podcast and be like, oh, damn, I wasn't recording. All right, finish your sentence. Finish your thought. 
Oh man, I deleted everything we've recorded. Who cares who we were interviewing? I deleted it. Oh, that so, once. It's not. Uh, anyways, brand new episode of Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy this Sunday, 8 a.m. Disney XD. I bet you're thinking that's it, right? That's it for new animated episodes? No, I'm not thinking that. I'm thinking that there's something else. Well, you're correct. For once in your life, there's a brand new episode of Marvel's Ultimate Spider-Man versus the Sinister Six, in which Nova is in it. Ben Morse loves Nova. Yes. Yeah. Nova uh, tells Spider-Man where Nick Fury is, and when Spider-Man goes to investigate... He finds inhuman ruins. So him and Attila bump into Attilan, Adelan. Adelan. Attil Adelan. Isn't Adelan the name of their city? No, it's the name of the the. Oh no, Titus. Titus. That's his inhuman name, right? You should maybe go back and reread the story you posted about this because. The one you also looked over? Yeah, I assumed you knew what you're talking about. <laughs> and, um, yeah, Madam Web's in it, too. This Sunday, 9 a.m., Disney XD. What else we got? That's it. Oh. Well, you're at least talking to Harrison after this? Nope. Oh. He was out of the office today. So, listeners, just get us. Yeah, that's it. Sorry, guys. All right, well, I guess that's a good note to leave on. Wish you a splendiferous weekend, a splendiferous hour week. Uh, we'll chat with you again in seven more days. Thanks for listening, and as always, I apologize for the Wolfman. Thank you, West Coast boys. Now it's going to be time for this week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club, where we dig into Marvel Unlimited for a reading club. We've chosen a selection of comic books, including X Factor 24 through 26 and 65 through 68. Yep. I mean, the umbrella is X Factor versus Apocalypse. We took two big X Factor Apocalypse fights. Of course, when Apocalypse first debuted, he was an X-Men villain, but he was kind of exclusive to X-Factor, which was the series that had the original five X-Men back together, uh, having adventures, initially posing as mutant hunters so they could collect young mutants and bring them under their tutelage. Apocalypse was essentially the big villain of X-Factor. He was the guy who was always lurking behind the scenes, and he was a very different kind of villain from you know, the Magnetos and the Sentinels. He was kind of the, he was the prototype of what we'd come to think of as an X-Men villain in the 90s. Very powerful, very mysterious, uh, lots of ties to different characters, lots of ties to the past. And he's the type of villain I think of when I think of kind of my childhood X-Men bad guys. Apocalypse was just the baddest mofo. And he looked ridiculous too, which I think helped. Um, because he looked... Yeah, absurd, but if an artist got him right, he was terrifying. Um, and this is, you know, a guy who had a giant A belt buckle. His toy looked absurd. Uh, he stretched out his arms and stuff like that. But he was still so scary. I mean, there was one time in Executioner's Song when Brandon Peterson drew him, 
and just showed him just shape shifting like crazy and then uh coming back to normal i was just like the apocalypse is one bad mother one bad mother shut your mouth um and here we have stories by the first one's written by louise simonson and drawn by walt simonson oh my gosh which is pretty cool Ooh, in and so of itself good. Um, getting to see Walt Simonson art outside of Thor, seeing it on X Factor, definitely had like some definitive takes on them and drew a great apocalypse as well. That story is the one that introduces Archangel for the first time. Uh, we get to the other horsemen of the apocalypse. I know you uh, were really feeling bad for Caliban in that story. Dude, so like I I really don't know Caliban outside of... I mean, who, does anyone really know Caliban? <laughs> outside of him as like working for apocalypse and being mm-hmm. a horseman like that was when i like oh he's he's a horseman yeah. I, I knew about it a little bit more but not like, always the case no and he was like hey he was like hey guys i just want to be friends with you guys yeah. next factor i'm really cool just like let me help out yep. a little bit and they're like hey cool caliban shut up and stand over there yeah we're ignoring you because you're dumb is yeah. essentially what the x factor does x factor were kind of jerks yeah they weren't the nicest people you got this whole subplot going on with beast losing his intelligence which they really hammered home yeah and they, they're also like well sucks that you're losing your intelligence because you're you know you're using your strength more we need you to use your strength yeah, more. it's like why not leave him at home why bring him on the mission here they're all lamenting they're like oh no beast is losing his strength again yeah you took him out on a mission to fight apocalypse what do you expect him to do yeah. sit there and like yell orders at you come on X Factor come on get it together get it Cyclops together. and Jean Grey and Iceman yeah uh, big shout out to Walt Simonson for drawing the best, like Stooges, three Stooges like bowl cut. Oh, on, yeah. uh, I think it was War, War, War yeah. the Horseman of War. I, I didn't under, I don't understand War's powers. I think it's that he, when he puts his hands together, he needs to put his hands together like he's clapping. He can fire energy blasts, but I think he can also absorb energy. Okay. I want to say. Yeah. Famine, I thought, was just terrifying. Famine is horrifying. Famine has has always been super cool. And a good visual, too. Yeah, very cool. Like, gives the artist a chance to really play around with, you know, emaciated. Yeah. Yeah, there's a great part where Famine grabs Gene, and then Gene gets all skinny, and then they, like, fight in Central Park, and there's a hot dog cart or something knocked over. And so Gene just, just like, eating. It's awesome. So good. She's like, if I could just have a little more food, I'll be okay. It's like these hot dogs that were sitting on the ground two seconds ago. Yeah. It's dynamic. Yeah. Uh, Um, There's the stuff with, like, establishing ship Mm -hmm. at the beginning of that. Ship. Which was um, uh, Apocalypse's fortress, but was sentient and sort of had its own personality. Um, Would end up being X Factor's base. The interesting thing is, between these two stories, we get to see the beginning of Ship as X Factor's base and the end of Ship yeah. as X Factor's base. And there's like 40 issues in between that, you know, he's basically part of the team. Yeah. Like the sixth member of the team, like Caliban wanted to be. Yeah. Or like Poor the sixth man in, in basketball, right? Yeah. You know, sports. We did John it. John Starks. John Starks, my man. Uh, but so. Yeah, that first story is kind of introducing Archangel. It's a Fall of the Mutants crossover. Then the second story we read, Endgame, has it's the final mission of the original X-Men as X-Factor, aside from the New York Island saga where they go and team up with the X-Men. And that's not even in X-Factor. That's just in Uncanny. No, it crosses over into X-Factor as well. Does it? Because yeah. the next issue... I saw. that was That's a, that's an error of some sort because I have issues of X-Factor that are New York Island saga. Books. So I think that might just be the next available. Oh issue. right, yeah. So sixty nine and seventy are the must be the Mirai. Yep. Because I was looking at yeah, I was looking at it, it in unlimited. And I was like, I was like, 
There's definitely an issue with Sunder yep. on the cover in yep. one of the one of the books. Strong guy, I think. No, Sunder is also in one of them. Sunder's I think. not in the Your Island Saga. He's, He's already not? dead at that point. Really? Yeah. I could have sworn Sunder. What? Well, he was one of the Muir Island X Men. Right. But he died um, before the Muir Island mm. Saga. Anyway, yeah, the Muir Island Saga, and they're all in the classic X Men outfits. It's, it's great. But I said this to you, and you agreed with me that basically Endgame might as well be the prologue to Executioner's song. Um, it's kind of cool because it's it's plotted by Will Sportacio and Jim Lee. Yep. But and drawn by Will Sportacio, who does oh my god, some of my favorite like, Will Sportacio work. like peak Will Sportacio, yeah. just like just throwing it out there yeah. and just so fucking. But it's yeah. scripted by Chris Claremont, so it has a very it's a very Claremont sounding story. But it's interesting to see Claremont working off these guys. Yeah. Plots, but Claremont thrown in there like the twelve, boom. Yeah. I'm putting that just in there. Just drops that off. Boom. Oh, we don't know if that's necessarily Claremont because it might have been part of the plot. I'm Maybe. assuming it was part of the script because Claremont would eventually write the 12. Or no, Alan Davis eventually wrote the 12. But I think Claremont had his idea of what the 12 I was I don't know, but be. I just I love the 12 was in there. Mm-hmm. You've got the, 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 Riders, Ascani, of, the, Riders, the Riders of the Storm. Who would later become the Dark Riders. Oh, so, so many great characters cool thrown out. And Apocalypse, you know, basically at doing a template for, hey, Strife, this is how you do the Executioner song with just all these crazy plots. Over the top Shakespearean soliloquies, which are my favorite. Yeah. Um, not actual Shakespearean, but you know they might as well be Shakespearean. It's just so much fun. Like I love that. So I was reading the hell out of the story last night. Apocalypse just being like, just like playing with people. He's like, I'm gonna make four little apocalypses and mm-hmm. throw them at you. They're kind of chumps, but whatever. It was like a video game. Yeah. And then oh, you're gonna come to me here. I'm Apocalypse. Here's your kid. You want your kid? Ha ha. I'm a hologram. I'm really 50 feet tall. What's Amazing. up? Amazing. Amazing reveal of 50 foot tall Apocalypse. And then just the jerkiest move of all infecting Nathan Christopher with the techno-organic virus, so he's got to be taken into the future. And I got to say, I wonder, like, to me, the thing was, spoilers for comics from 20 or 30 years ago, (laughs) um, Nathan Christopher turns out to be Cable, of course. Yeah. To me, I'm like, by the time time I got to it, it was pretty much already revealed. But I... Oh, yeah, Cable... Cable is fully integrated into comics at that point. But, no, no, here's what I'm saying. By the time I was reading comics, we already knew Cable was Nathan Christopher. Mm, Okay. Because we had Executioner's Song was one of my first comics that I read, and it was not stated, but heavily implied (laughs) that either him or Strife was Nathan Christopher. Um, But my thing is, if you're reading this book at the time, and you've got Cable, who's got the techno-organic virus, and talks about it all the time, and you've got Nathan Christopher, who gets infected with the techno-organic vi- virus and taken to the future. Like, did anyone not realize this was Cable right away? Well, no, I remember that there were two issues in the Wizard Top Tens mm-hmm. as Cable was heating up. It yeah. was the fight, the the issue, it's like 210 or something like that, Uncanny X-Men, mm-hmm. where Storm and Cyclops are fighting to be leader. Right. That's the first that's appearance. That's the birth of that's Nathan, the birth Christopher. Of Nathan yeah. Christopher. And... The issue where All right, so he peop- gets shot to the future. So people knew, uh, th- but you could it put was, it together. Marvel never stated it, uh. and they were like, "So e- even Wizard was like, we're pretty sure we yeah. think this is where yeah. Cable first appearance yeah. is." Uh, and he's got a giant crazy. metal arm. He's got. Uh, it was just great. I love this era of comics so much. Yes, it's beautiful. So this, uh, it's it's either sixty eight or sixty seven, has 
my favorite handshake in all of comics. Is it uh, the Inhumans? Thing? So it's it's Black Bolt and Cyclops. They shake hands. They're like, all right, Black Bolt's like, all right, we'll take care of this stuff over here. Mm-hmm. We'll deal well, with it. he doesn't actually say that because he didn't say anything. Right, essentially. But he's yeah. like, you look at him, you know what's going on. You know what's up. And Scott's like, all right, we're going to go take Apocalypse down. See ya. Peace out. Thanks for the help. And they grab each other. Like, give me your arm, yeah. Ben. And they grab each other like and they that, shake hands like, like warriors. Yeah, they, they like shake each other's warriors. Yeah, they shake each other's forearms and it's like testosterone uh. exploding and like machismo and just like everybody's like, yeah, I'm gonna just tear everything apart. The Inhumans so are kind of great in this story, but they're also kind of chumps because Apocalypse just takes a bunch of them and brainwashes them like oh, it's yeah. no thing. Totally. Medusa, her whole, her whole existence in this book is just um, attacking the X Factor. Because she's under their control. Yeah, part of it too is that the Dark Riders, mm-hmm. two they're of them are inhumans, if not all. I think of them. they're all inhumans. Are they all inhumans? I believe they're all inhumans. I don't think they're mutants. Yeah, and and so like, two of them are actually royal cousins. Yeah, uh, which, which was how hard. they like infiltrated and dealt with and got Medusa. Like, yep. I found uh, like there was no inhumans book at this time. No, so this was this, this is what this we is got. This is the inhumans you got. Yeah, and it was still. I was like, yeah. yeah. And then that part where you've got, um, uh, who is it, Gorgon and Karnak at the same time. Like, Beast is, like, crashing down. And then Karnak and Gorgon are like, yeah, let's do this, too. And and they destroy. Karnak's basically like, look, Gorgon, if you smash right there with your giant hoof, then I can come down with, like, my finger and apply just enough pressure so that everything cracks and everything caves in. Yeah. We're it's gonna, awesome use of them. Yes, it's um, so good. And it was and it was the Inhumans and mutants in happier times. Yes, <laughs> when they got along swell. Yes, encouraging this, we're not killing the mutants. Also, you can't forget about Charlotte Jones. Uh, Charlotte Jones is Sergeant great. Charlotte Jones by the end of the story, yep. who uh, was uh, Angel's on again, off again lady love. Everyone in X Factor had an on again, off again something. Yeah, Trish Tilby Trish was Tilby, there with with Hank. Uh, What's what's Iceman had? Um, uh, I want to say Yuriko, but that's no, Lady Deathstrike. No, it's Opal. Opal. Opal yeah. Tanaka. Yep. Yep. Uh, and then of course Scott and Jean Scott were, and Jean were, doing, were their thing. doing their thing. Yeah. So everyone had their you know in between battles they would yeah. go and check in with their human. But I loved Charlotte getting blasted up into space with them. She's like. What the hell? Yeah. I'm on. Go- she's like, I'm on the moon. She's got a big gun. I'm freaking out. I have this giant gun. I've got the most awesome mullet. Yep. No one is going to touch me. It's and amazing. she is fantastic. Charlotte Jones is great. I remember being really sad when Archangel started dating Psylocke, and they actually took the time to have him go to Charlotte Jones's apartment and break up with her. Oh. Be like, hey, I'm basically done with you. I found a. New- and she had a kid, right? She had a kid. Oh. He was, you know, you we don't know how hearted. close they were coming. It was, it was rough. I was very upset at Archangel. Don't ever do that to someone, Josh. Don't do it, Josh. Yeah. Just because you read it in a comic doesn't make yeah. it okay. Don't you ever dump someone great who's a cop in the New York Police Department, yeah. and she has a kid, and you dump her for uh, an assassin ninja lady who's actually yeah. British but is switched bodies Never do it. and is also a telepath. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't so do it. very specific. Oh, so well, don't do it. So it's very specific, you know, boy. Anyways, I don't know. Yeah. Did you have anything else to say about these stories? Or we want to get the comments. It was great. I was really excited. I was. And I we read them on Marvel Unlimited. Now, reminder, guys, with your Marvel Mastercard, you get three percent cash back when you buy uh, when you have a subscription to the Marvel Mastercard. Yeah. Um, it's it's going to get you three percent cash back on dining, select entertainment, a 
course, through Marvel.com purchases, 1% cash back on other stuff. So make sure you guys sign up at uh, Marvel.com slash credit card. Uh, other places you're going to get your little bit of, little bit of, little bit of, you're going to get it at music uh, when you buy stores and digital downloads, mm. uh, concerts and theater events, movie theaters. Like, we had that whole talk about movies in the yeah, th- absolutely. this morning. We talked about movies. Yeah, this morning. That was an hour ago in the beginning of the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you guys, make sure you get it. Uh, Marvel.com slash MasterCard. Get your cash back uh, for doing all the things that you're going to do anyway, like read comics. Yep. Uh, we got... A bunch of comments here, more than I thought we were going to get um, for this. Yeah, right? See, it blew up at the end. We, we got mainly from two people. We appreciate you guys doing it. But first, we would be remiss if we didn't say Bob Moriarty, who said, I realize this doesn't make a lot of sense, but I'd love to help out on the Twim URC Fall of the Mutants read. Yeah, and, and there was no elaboration. No elaboration. Thanks. Thanks for offering your Thank help, you, Bob. Bob. We appreciate but it. We, I don't. Why? why? I don't know. Going on to Don, DJ Panko, who actually read the issues and uh, tweeted us a lot. He said, seems Strami failed you. He asked us to tweet you to know what issues we're supposed to read for Twin URC. The Wolfman rules. Uh-oh, you know, Patrick's yeah. going to put that on a bumper sticker. Absolutely. Pa- I, I visited when I was at the office mm-hmm. last week when I was in Los Angeles. If you remember, I was Los in Los Angeles. Angeles. Yes, you were gone. Um, I we was, all remember. I was hanging out in Patrick's cube area, and he's like, do you want a pen? He had a bag of pens with his name on them. Oh yeah, I've gotten one of those. Yeah, I got one of those when I went outside. He had pins. He's like, he's he just buy. I was like, he's why are you doing that? He's all over that. He's, he manages his brand. Yeah, totally. He manages his brand. Yep. Uh, okay, from DJ Fanko. I love the X Factor versus Apocalypse issues back in the day. They held up well. Very nice. Um, I like there were some aspects of this that I was like this maybe didn't hold up totally well, but it was still fun. It was like, great. Both the stories. Were yeah, I had, a, I had a blast. Really fun. Uh, when I started following X-Men in 1990, the Walt Simonson issues of X-Factor were some of the back, first back issues I got. I never had the opportunity to read the issues leading up to the big reveal in X-Factor 24. The big reveal, of course, being Archangel. Oh, yeah. And shout out to the masks that Walt oh, draws yeah, those on. Oh, yeah, great. Uh, the yellow masks. The horsemen. Oh, and especially yeah. uh, Archangel. He's, it's like legitimately scary and awesome looking. Yeah, the that design for Archangel is it's great. incredible. I wonder if Simonson did it or not. I don't know. It's it's a great design. It's an awesome costume. The wings look killer. I mean, this was Archangel was a popular character yeah. in the eighties. He was basically the Wolverine of X Factor. Yeah. And he was awesome. Uh, listeners, if you're wondering what all the paper shuffling is that you're definitely gonna be hearing, that's Josh just willy nilly shuffling, shuffling papers. papers. Just going through, doing his thing. No regard. Breathing and shuffling papers. Gosh, the Josh story. The two worst. Ugh. <laughs> oh. Um, okay, we have. I had no idea the history of Angel, although it was lightly explained. The weight of his heel turn was lost on me. Yeah, I mean, if you were reading the books, you knew who Angel was. Again, Archangel was already Archangel by the time I started reading comics. I'm yeah. assuming with you as well. Yep. Um, but yeah, if you knew the whole history, it's crazy. The whole series has been building to the enormous arc in magnitude, and in true Simonson manner, it was epic. Caliban, watching, observing, carried much weight and explained the motivations behind his later metamorphosis. Only in diving into issues 10 and up did I fully understand that the horsemen were mainly victims of the Morlock culling. Yeah, I think Pestilence and Famine were both Morlocks. Ah. War was just some dude. War was an injured, um, an injured soldier. veteran. Yeah. Um, the confrontation with X-Factor versus Horsemen was them coming face-to-face with the consequences of their preceding failures. That's a really good point. Because mm. the mutant massacre as well as all the stuff that happened to Angel. Yeah. 
the uh, X characters really did not have a great batting average. Terrible track record. Yeah. Um, as a young man with a newly discovered religious awakening, the confiscating of biblical metaphors seemed heavy-handed. Mm, that's your opinion. Um, I mean, yeah, it's the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I think it's just you know kind of goofy and fun. Having it um, <laughs> as a, as a mature in age man reading this, I see the pains of life and resonates each of us has suffered. Got it. Simons' narrative today reads not merely as a co-op of scripture tales, but as a revelation that Apocalypse was the great pretender. Throughout generations, he has used violence to further his ends. No surprise that in each epoch, he convinced the formerly weak and downtrodden to join in an attempt to dominate it here and ever after. He is repeatedly thwarted by those with a dream of all people as part of the same human family. That's like some of the most beautiful writing yeah. we've ever had well in done. URC. Well said, Don. DJ Fanko, doing it up. I left issue 26 open on my iPad, and then my son brought it to me and asked me if I should really be reading <laughs> Smoochy Books. Smoochy Books. Smoochy Books. Who smooches in 26? Uh, maybe. Oh, yeah, it's the the scene where Cyclops, oh, Cyclops and Jean, and Jean they, get, they get into the bone zone on ship. And zone. think about that. Ship is sentient. sentient. And he's just like. He's watching all of it. He's like. Yeah, yeah, guys. He's like, worry. I guess you can You're just bone alone. on my floor. You're all alone. Don't worry about it. <laughs> the character intros in issue 65 were great. Love how the apocalypse briefing were introducing two teams simultaneously. Yeah. This arc. The second one um, was some of the best work Will Sportacio ever did in his entire career. I started collecting X Factor during Extinction Agenda. It was amazing. It was an amazing pre-92 crossover that hooked and held me for years. Maybe yeah. someday we'll do the Extinction Agenda. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we have about a million X-Men <laughs> crossovers we got to get to. We got to do the 12. Um, we got to do the 12 now. Yeah, of course. But when Bog when John Bogdanov's art gave way to Portacio's, I was 100% on board. This story was particularly intense. As a father, I can't imagine going through what Cyclops did. Of course, all the stuff we talked about with Nathan Christopher when he gave him up and sent him into the future. At the time, Cyclops' sacrifice of Nate was huge. Still, to this day, the art, pacings, and emotion are all so strong. It was evocative of Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac right down to the intercessory angel. When it was revealed that Cable was Nate Gray, it cheapened the sacrifice, but mostly because the reconciliation never came. Nate well, it's not Nate Gray. Yeah. He's Nathan Dayspring, Christopher Summers, Ascani Sun. Gray Malkin, Ascani Sun, Summers, and Nate Gray is X-Men. Um, and they did have a reconciliation. I remember it was when uh, there was, I don't know if you remember this issue. You remember the issue where Cable shows up at the X-Mansion because Cyclops invited him to the wedding with Gene? He's like, what do you expect me to be the ring bearer? <laughs> and then they fight the executioner. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, executioner. Dope villain. Great villain. So good. Underused. What Let's a bring it back. Um, a few writers touched on it, but I don't recall a definitive conversation ever being broached. Dude, that issue. I just told you. Go find Uncanny X-Men number whatever. It's got John Romina Jr. art. It's written by Scott Lobdell. Well, the wedding is X-Men 30. Yeah, but this is Uncanny. So, it's so the, whatever the Uncanny issue before X-Men 30 is. It's somewhere after 300. It's, it's between 300 and 310. Yeah. I know that. I know that. Cover is Cyclops and Cable and Executioner. Look it up. We can definitely find this. We can help DJ Fanko out. Sure, Gene and Scott would later go into the future to raise the boy, but I don't recall it all. And that was in Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. And also, I love the cameos during Chip's Assault on New York. She-Hulk's was my favorite. That's, of course, uh, She-Hulk complaining. Do you mind? Can a lawyer practice her profession just once without her case being terminally disrupted by the attack of the mile-high psychotic starship? 
the best part of that too is she makes like a joke about her own book. Yep. And it's just it's, it's so very fully realized. It's very She Hulk at the time. It's terrific. Um, I've got on Marvel Unlimited. I pulled up all, all right, the issues. Me. So we've got issues. There it is. Three ten. Three ten. Three ten. Yeah, Uncanny yeah. Oh, X Men yeah, number three ten. Yeah, J- Cable and Johnny Cyclops against the, uh, against the Executioner. Yeah. Read that, and all of your Cyclops Cable reconciliation dreams will come true. Look at that. Oof. Beautiful. And awesome. Yeah. Cable's got the, the the dope like wrist laser, and you've yeah. got the awesome hair that Johnny it's was drawing. Itchy. Oh, so good. It's good. You're going to read this after. I am after definitely going to read this. And you even got, it. like, it, it, so that's actually a good one to call that. to. Yeah. Uncanny X-Men 310 pulls you right, right from this. the moment in 68 where Nathan Cab- is taken away. Because Cable uses the Danger Room hologram technology to recreate the situation where he was taken yeah. away and then yells at Cyclops, and it's, it's good that's stuff. That's cold, it's bro. It's good stuff. It's great stuff. Uh, Johnny EMS, which issues are being covered in your next Tomb URC? Yeah, that was I responded to him, so I'm we, disappointed he didn't respond back. We need to figure out a way to make sure that these are displayed in the Unlimited app again. Yes, we do. We um, do. That's a, so the change came. The product team is, are always updating Marvel Unlimited to make sure you guys have the best possible app. And what we see at the, the headers are going to be the Discover section. So mm-hmm. maybe we make a Discover section for... Yeah, Jim just told me he could do it, so I'll just have him. I forgot to have him do it for this okay. time. We'll yeah. have him do it next time. Great. Penelope Cat says, new Twimmy RC selection is a bunch of X-Factor apocalypse stories from the 80s. All new to me. He says, in issue 26, quote, you fellows certainly don't look like heroes, quote. What is that supposed to mean? I so, mean, it was, what was it, Iceman and Beast? Maybe. Yeah, they just were, it was it was mutant prejudice. Anti-mutant prejudice. You know? Infiltrating once again. But at, by the end of that story, they were like, everybody's like, yeah, we love X-Factor. The little girl running after the winner in the yep. cab. She gives them the flowers. It's great. They get a ticker tape parade. You know? It's all good. Uh, he says, in issue 67, it takes some of the menace out of Apocalypse when I realize that on the cliffhanger page, he kind of looks like Mojo. Hey, man, Mojo's creepy, too. No, Mojo is Mojo's the bomb. all sorts of creepy. Yeah. All these issues came out when I was taking breaks from comics or X-Men, so these are all new to me. Because I hadn't read his earlier appearances, Apocalypse is a character who I've never really connected with. Unfortunately, reading these stories didn't really do anything to change that. (laughs) The character still kind of leaves me cold. Uh, I don't know. I I thought these were pretty great. He's, like, such a dick. Yeah. It's great. It's, it's... Yeah, he's like, I'm going to take Archangel. I'm going to make him a jerk. I'm yeah. going to take Nathan Christopher. I'm going to infect him with the yeah. techno-organic virus. Totally. Jerk, 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 jerk. Yeah. He says, I do appreciate the stories artistically, especially the Simonson Simonson issues. Walter is one of my favorite artists of all time. I do remember almost starting to read X-Factor again when he started drawing it, but it just wasn't the book for me at the time. Penelope Cat says, I'm generally a Chris Claremont booster, but I feel like when people make fun of his tropes, this is the era they are pulling from. Well, this is kind of him finishing up yeah like you know he's he's on his way out and i i'll be honest with you i thought this was this was great chris claremont stopped chris claremont writing is like coming home for me yeah it just feels comfortable and great yeah uh he says having said all that the moment cyclops has to decide to let his son go is heartbreaking mm-hmm. i feel like there was a point where claremont's x-men became bigger and more cosmic than fighting evil mutants and prejudice for sure uh, maybe the turning point was the Dark Phoenix saga, but I felt I feel like it really became a sci-fi series in the late '80s or early '90s. Yeah, I mean, you had all the outer space stuff, but the, that was the beauty of X-Men at this time is they could do a crazy outer space sci-fi story and then turn around and do something like Inferno, which was this magical demonic story, and then turn around and do something like Extinction Agenda or Days of Future Past. Like they were, they could do any genre. Yeah. 
Uh, Penelope Cat continues, says, it's possible that more Claremont and other writers, that the more Claremont and other writers went in that direction of the sci-fi stuff, the less interested he was overall. Uh, he says, but when Bog... Oh, wait, no, we're on the next page, sorry. Yeah. He says, I feel like Apocalypse is representative of that direction. Those are well-told stories, but not the stories I wanted to read. Still, I feel like I have more insight into Apocalypse Now, so that's something. Apocalypse Now, good. Hey. Let's see what you did there. Yeah. Smell the napalm in the morning. You know what, no, Josh? Josh, stay out on. of this. Duh. You have lost speaking privileges. He says, and part of why I love Twim URC is it gives me the chance to read stories I might have select, might not have selected for myself. That's, that's always, always fun. fun. Yes. Well said. We got a bunch of emails this week, but they're not about no, Twim URC. We already so read them. Gonna, they, oh, we already I, read them? Yep. Uh, Alex Ba-boom. didn't erase them from the doc. Dummy Alex. Terrific. All right, well, thank you guys for reading X-Factor vs. Apocalypse with us. Uh, you will have to check either their portion of the podcast or the written part of the podcast, and hopefully soon the rotators yep. to see what the next two ERC has. It'll come from the West Coast guys. Yes, and uh, for those of you who have written us emails, there's a couple. We'll get to them next week yes. in the regular questions and comments. That's it. Josh, you have anything to say? Wow. Okay, great. Wow. Thanks. You really Ball dropped it on that dropped. one. Ugh. This is Marvel. Your uniform.